Thank you, Kenny and Elizabeth and Miss Pauline. That was beautiful. I appreciate y'all doing that again. The reason that I wanted them to, to do that song again is because the first verse last week was exactly what we were talking about, and the second verse this week is exactly what we were talking about. And when, when uh, Kenny led us in that song last week, we had not even discussed, uh, I, he knew I would be preaching Christmas stuff, but he didn't know the specifics of what I would be preaching, and, um, and it just so happened that it was set up exactly as my sermon series, and uh, honestly, next week's is right along with it too. It's just incredible, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the second part of the humiliation of Christ. Last week, when we looked at the humiliation of Christ, we looked at what it meant for um, God to become man. Now, I don't want to make us think that Jesus somehow became less of God in order to become man. That would be bad doctrine. Um, but, but Jesus did make incredible sacrifices in order to become man. And just him leaving heaven and him coming to earth was an incredible... We saw the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in some of the places that our missionaries go and, from, and other missionaries across the world. I, I've, it's really neat that one of the videos uh, for the prayer week, and maybe we'll watch a little bit of this um, before Christmas... And here was a video from missionaries from Korea that were sent out. And so we, we need to realize that we're not the only Southern Baptists in the world and that God is, is using, us all, using our denomination all over the world for his glory and for his kingdom. And, uh, but as much as we um, look at the sacrifice that our missionaries make to go and spread the gospel where God has called them in other countries, other places, other cultures. Jesus, he left, where he left was way better than, when, than where any missionary will leave. And the, the gulf between where he left, heaven, and where he came, earth, is bigger than any gulf between where any missionary would leave and, and go. And so we looked at that last week. We looked at um, what it meant for God to become a baby, and just all that went with that. And th so, that was the humiliation of Christ, part one. Part two is we're going to look at his suffering and his death. But we're going to look at it, not from a, a New Testament perspective, although we do obviously have these New Testament goggles on that we, we can't help but to see the world through what we know through the New Testament. But we're going to go back to the Old Testament and we're going to see some prophecies that were in place for hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever fulfilled them. And some of these prophecies that we're going to look at were fulfilled by Jesus, as many of you know, um, were fulfilled by Jesus in a way that Old Testament people thought, how can all these prophecies be fulfilled? And here one man, in really a matter of just a few years, um, there, of course there's tons of prophecies about his birth that he fulfilled, but then there were tons of prophecies about his death that he fulfilled and, and in between. Um, but he was able to fulfill all these prophecies. But the incredible thing is, if you know the New Testament, and I hope that many of you know the crucifixion story, and you know all that went with it, with the, the role that the Jewish leaders played in it, the role that the Romans played in it, the role that Jesus' disciples in abandoning him, and fleeing, 
uh, the role that they played in it, the role that Jesus himself played, his mother, all these characters and people that were involved in it. I hope that you have some level of understanding of that because it's going to add tremendously to what we're going to read today if you do. And if you don't, then it's still going to be exciting and there might be some things that you see for the very first time about Scripture that can be very impactful. I remember the first time I read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. I can remember reading them. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. I was like, how is this even possible? Like, this psalm, this psalm of David, is it? I had to figure out, like, when was David and when was Jesus? Because, I mean, this is some incredible stuff that we're going to read. And, and we don't have time to read all of both chapters. And so, for time's sake, we're going to read verses 1 through 18 of Psalm 22. And I'm, I am going to spend more time in Psalm in Isaiah 53, that I am Psalm 22. But I want us to look at Psalm 22 because in looking at the humiliation of Christ, we need to realize that part of the reason he was born, part of the reason that we celebrate Christmas is he, he, next week we'll be looking at the good stuff, that he was born to show us the best that humanity can possibly be. But he also was born so that he could die for our sins, that he could glorify the Father in that way. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you will, turn with me to Psalm 22, and I'm going to begin in verse 1, and this is to the choir master according to the Doe of the Dawn, a Psalm of David. And in verse 1, it says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why Why is that familiar? Someone answer. It's what Jesus said on the cross, and there we do not have time. This could be a whole sermon series by itself of what all this means, but at minimum, we can agree that Jesus said this to draw our attention to this psalm, to show us he is fulfilling what was said hundreds of years before his birth as a human, and so My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those very words on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now, starting in verse 6, of course verse 1, but starting in verse 6, we're going to begin to see prophecy after prophecy. So, watch this. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Now, that's not a very specific prophecy, right? I mean, it's just saying that he's being mocked. Was Jesus mocked? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, worse than mocked. But then verse 8, we get to another one of those, like verse 1, that is just incredible. In verse 1, Jesus had control over whether he said that or not. Because on the cross, he quoted verse 1. Jesus didn't quote verse 8. The people who were killing him said this. Look at verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. So the very people who were saying this is not the Messiah 
are saying this at the crucifixion of Jesus, proving that he is who? The Messiah. Verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They are open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Here's some more prophecy fulfilled. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is just incredibly detailed and specific. Before crucifixion was even a way of death. How is this person going to die? They have done what? Pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. All of this happened. These specific details, some of them, for some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, Jesus said it had to happen like this so the prophecies could be fulfilled. I did it like this so the prophecies would be fulfilled. Jesus knew who he was, and he was fulfilling the prophecies knowingly. Excuse me. However, when we get to some of these verses, it's not Jesus who's fulfilling these things. It's the very people who are killing him who are fulfilling these things. Did Jesus pierce his own hands and feet? No. Pardon me, I'm going to put in a cough drop. Jesus did not pierce his own hands and feet. Did Jesus cast lots for his own clothing? For those of you who don't know, it's like gambling, throwing dice for, uh, for something. And, and the soldiers gambled over his clothing to see who could get it. Because, hey, this is a nice piece of garment. Let, let me get that. So, so many of these very things that are talked about that actually happen, and these quotes that are said at the crucifixion of Jesus and during that time, here we have them written hundreds and hundreds of years before it even takes place. And so, that's incredible. And I want us to spend the rest of this day, this morning, I mean, I would love to spend the rest of the day, but I'm talking about like 19 minutes here, okay? Not the rest of the day. Looking at Isaiah 53. And so if you will, if you will turn with me to Isaiah 53. And much like I just quickly went through that, in order for us to get through this chapter, I am going to go a little more quickly than I normally go. um, But I don't want to leave out any of these things that are just valuable. Now in Isaiah, Isaiah, there are people who think that more than one person wrote Isaiah. Um, because Isaiah, it's divided into three sections. Now, I think one person wrote Isaiah. I just think that 
Isaiah matured as he got older, and he wrote it in different stages of his life. And if I wrote something when I'm 30 and I'm 50 and I'm 70, it's going to sound differently, and I'm going to use some different kind of things. That's what I think happens with Isaiah. And one of the sections um, of Isaiah is called The Suffering Servant, The Songs of the Suffering Servant. And this is one of those. Because in Isaiah, there comes this part where he's been prophesying about all these things and talking about what's going to happen very, very soon. But then he starts talking about things as if there's this person who, and we know now that it's the Messiah, um, but at that time, it's these songs of suffering. It's these things that are going to happen that you wouldn't want to happen. And yet, there's going to be victory, but there's also suffering. And most of the Jewish people in the day of Jesus didn't understand still, didn't, did not understand what Isaiah was talking about, because they only saw the Messiah as being this victorious king. They didn't realize that the Messiah would have to suffer and die. They, they just couldn't imagine that. Uh, it didn't fit with their idea of what the Messiah was going to be because they thought he was going to be like this Caesar-type figure who overthrew the Roman government and put Israel back on the map. And they didn't realize that he was going to be, yeah, he will be that at the end of time, right? He, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But he also had to come as a servant. And this chapter speaks so clearly to who Jesus was and what he did for us And as we read this, I hope that this just penetrates straight to the heart and that this gets you ready for Christmas. Because when we look at what Christ did for us, when we look at the fact that before creation, before he ever said, let there be light, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit knew that if they created, if they created man, that man would sin and that man's sin would have to be accounted for, but God would love man, and therefore God would need to figure out some way to remedy this problem that the the sin of man has caused. And the remedy is Jesus. It was always Jesus. It wasn't just determined when he became a human and he couldn't figure out how to straighten this out while he was here on earth. Well, I guess i got to die for him. No. It was always known that Jesus was going to do this. And here's some evidence. We saw Psalm 22, and here's some evidence in Isaiah 53. And I really encourage you to follow along and to look at these words that were written, again, hundreds of years before Jesus ever became a human being. Verse 1 of chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So a lot of people thought this can't be the Messiah they're talking about because the Messiah is going to be this incredible human that everybody looks up to. And yet it is the Messiah that they're talking about. And did did Jesus have this uh, massive following where the Jewish people just changed everything and followed him? No, we saw last week. In John 1, that his own, he came to his own, and his own did not recognize him. And so here, we see the same thing. He had no former majesty. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. Is that what happened to Jesus? Yes. A man of sorrows. No one starts singing, man of constant sorrows. Okay. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. It's interesting that this is talking about it as if it's already happened. He grew up. He was stricken by men. This is past tense language. We esteemed him not. Prophecies, a lot of times, even though they come before and they're talking about something that will happen, it's, it's, it's as if it's already done because it might as well be because God is sovereign and he's working all things together. Where was I? Verse 5? Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs as Jesus did that and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5. Here's a very specific prophecy. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. If you've ever sinned, will you raise your hand for me? I need to hang out with some of you. All of us. All of us have sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? We have all sinned. We've all committed transgressions against God. We all have iniquities, impurities, sin. He was pierced for our transgression. This is before his birth, and it's already being said what he's going to do. He was born. We have Christmas so we could have Easter. It's not the only reason. But he was born to die and to rise again and to have victory over death. And that's important for us to realize. During this Christmas season, it's important for us to focus on that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, there are people who believe, don't believe that Jesus died for our sins. There are groups of Christians that believe that Jesus did not die for our sins. That he, he just came to give us the best example of what a human could be and to show us what love is and, and things like that. I am not one of those Christians. I believe that Jesus paid for our debt on the cross. I believe that that payment satisfied God's wrath, that it was enough to cover our sins. And, and I believe that this is one of the verses that isn't even New Testament. There's plenty of those. But this is one of those verses that proves it. Let's look at verse 5 again. That he was pierced for his, for what? To show us what it looks like to live a good life and to be submissive even to death? It's not what this is. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It's important for us to see this. He did this for us. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our salvation is dependent upon what Jesus did on that cross. 
And we can go to him and ask for forgiveness freely. And he is able to forgive because upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. I need healing right now. There are things that I'm going through right now where I need God to heal me, to deliver me, to help me. This is a daily, weekly, whatever you want to say, need that I have. And guess who offers it to me? Jesus. God can can do those things because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so while we're celebrating Christmas, we cannot forget what Christ did for us on the cross. We cannot forget the reason that that baby was born. I love the song, Mary, Did You Know, right? I love it. It's, the words are incredible. I can't believe that Mark Lowry wrote that thing. But anyway, it's just so good. And Mary might not have known, but God did. When Mary was holding the baby, the promised Messiah in her arms, she had the same Jewish heritage and culture of the people that killed Jesus. She, she was expecting the same things from the Messiah that they were. So she probably didn't know. But that doesn't mean it was a surprise. God knew. And it was written clearly in the scriptures before his birth. Look at verse 6. More about us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So I asked you earlier, who is sin? Who does this say is sin? Everyone, all of us. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. We don't deserve this. We deserve the iniquity. We, we deserve to, for the iniquity of us to be laid on us. We deserve to be punished for what we have done against a holy, perfect God. It, you know, in fiction stories, fantasy stories, or like legitimately happens in real life, um, if you come before this great king or this great warrior or whatever it will be, and you don't show him the respect that he deserves, is there some kind of punishment? Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens when we come before the greatest king who's ever lived, and we have done, according to Scripture, our sin is a personal affront to God. So every sin we've ever committed was against God. And so we come into the presence of that God who we have spent our life sinning against. What do we deserve? I don't want to imagine what we deserve. But for all who call on the name of Jesus, all who put their faith in him before that judgment day, by the way, on this side of eternity, for all of us who put our faith in him, upon him was the chastisement who brought us, that brought us peace. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God. When we stand before God the Father and we get ready to account for the things that we have done, 
Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be any kind of like reward or anything like any kind of judgment like that in heaven, because I do believe that there will be an account for things. But our sin, our iniquity has been laid on him. And if you can take that and say, well, let me keep on sinning because I have a freedom. Jesus is going to forgive it. Woo, I can do whatever I want. And when I get to heaven, God can't do anything to me. Because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Let me tell you that you have not been transformed and you are not a Christian. If you have that attitude, there is no way that the Spirit of God lives in you. And so you need to go to God and you need to do some, there's a reckoning coming. You need to spend some time with Him. Because there has got to be a transformation in our heart when we get saved that gives us even a seed of love for Jesus. And well, any time we have a, start having an attitude like that, there should be conviction. God should deal with us. There is nowhere in Scripture where it shows people who have been transformed, the Holy Spirit has filled them, and then they just go do whatever they want without any consequences or conviction. Just read the New Testament. But thankfully, for those of us who have faith, who God has transformed, who we are born again, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened, he opened not his mouth. This was Jesus, right? Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is Jesus, word for word, what he did and what happened. Again, the lamb can go quietly to the slaughter, but the lamb can't lead himself to the slaughter. There were actually other people involved. Even though no man was taking Jesus' life, he was laying it down, there were other people involved in this process. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living... I mean, what else is this talking about? This is incredible. What does it mean to be considered being cut off from the land of the living? You're dead. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. He's dead. They made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death. Whose tomb was Jesus buried in? Joseph of Arimathea. A rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, did Jesus ever do any violence? I mean, he had his whip driving people out of the money changers, but he didn't do any violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Did Jesus ever lie? This is him. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was innocent, and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. But what's interesting is, is that... What is the will of the Lord is also the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're talking about all of them. This isn't God saying, oh, I'm going to punish you for their sin. That's not the Father being like that. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came up with a plan. And God in his justice and his holiness did have to pour his wrath out on sin. But this was the plan that was developed out of love not out of hate. And 
Jesus was willingly a part of this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, the only thing that can make an offering for guilt is a pure thing. And yet, Jesus is that pure sacrifice. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Is Jesus still alive? Even though he was in the tomb of the rich man? The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be, to, to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. So even though there's crushing, even though there's piercing, even though there's all these things taking place, there's going to be joy. And let's look at what verse 12 says. Therefore, I will divide with him, or I will divide him, a portion with the many. And by the way, this is a theme that is in Isaiah many, many times. This dividing the portion, this reward, this inheritance. But anyway, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So who's Jesus going to share the spoils of his riches with? Anyone who's put their faith in him. What the, the reward that he has earned through the payment that he gave, he's going to share the reward with any who will put their faith in him. Because he, has, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Even though he wasn't a transgressor, he was numbered with them. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us. And Jesus is not limited by time. Time does not work for the same way with, with the Father and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit as it does with us. And so whatever you're going through, as long as he needs to pray for you, he is sitting there at the right hand of the Father praying for you, whatever you're going through. And when you come to him and you say, God, forgive me of my sins, he is sitting there saying, Father, I paid for those sins. Forgive them. He is always making intercession for us. He is always interceding for us. He is there doing that for us. So when we think about Christmas, we can't just think about, this is a transition getting us ready for next week, we can't just think about the humiliation of Christ. It didn't end with him being born. And it didn't end with him being crucified. There was more to his birth than that. Thank God, praise God, the crucifixion was the most horrible thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity, and nothing more horrible will ever happen. It was the greatest, horrendous, not greatest as in good, but the most horrendous act that has ever happened in the history of humanity. And from it comes the greatest good. From it comes the spoils that he will divide and share with us. And so praise God this Christmas that we have an opportunity for eternal life because of the fact that he was born and grew into a man who died for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Praise God for that this Christmas. Thank God for that this Christmas. And know 
as we're celebrating the birth of Christ, know that he fulfilled the prophecies of his first coming, and he will fulfill the prophecies of his second coming. He will come again. He will bring an end to all this pain and all this suffering and all of this. It will happen. We can trust him because he has never lied. We can trust him because all of the stuff that he said would happen in his first coming, it happened. Even the things that he, as Jesus, if he was just a regular human, would have had no control over, as in the very things that the people who were killing him were saying, and the way they were gambling for his clothes, and some of the other things that we saw that he was being led to the slaughter, is some of the other things that we saw in this passage, even though he had no control over that if he's just a normal human being, it happened. It all happened. He fulfilled it all. And he will fulfill all the promises of his second coming. Which means, and this is getting ready for our invitation, which means we better be ready when we pass or when he comes. When we die or he comes, we better be ready. Because we will have to stand before the Father. And now, we're not just answering for our sins. We have to answer as people who have heard the gospel, why we turned away the greatest gift that was ever offered to humanity if we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so we better be ready. And two, we can have great hope. If we have Christ, He is coming. And look, I'm not going to say I don't have any insecurities or reservations about Jesus' return. Because I have loved ones that I want to see get saved before he returns. I, I do have concerns. But you know what outweighs my concerns? That Jesus is Jesus. And that he knows what he's doing. And that he knows the right time. And I have to trust him. And that when he comes, I'm not going to be worried about anything that I'm giving up on this side of eternity. All I'm going to be is grateful for Jesus and grateful for the Father and in love and on my knees and on my face and singing songs of praise and singing songs of joy and so glad that Christmas happened so that Easter could happen so that I could have eternal life. And so praise God for his birth. Amen? During this time of invitation, you respond to God in whatever way you need to. Maybe you've never asked him, Lord, take my sins upon yourself. Lord, forgive me of my sins. If that's the case, if you've never been saved, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Become a follower of Jesus this morning. Maybe you're in here and you're saved, but maybe you haven't been living it out like you should. Maybe you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized and show people the change that has happened in your life. Whatever you need to do, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Let's pray and then we'll have our invitation. Lord, we love you. And God, I just pray that uh, you would just, that you would work incredible things in our hearts right now, that you would give us a love and a zeal for you and, and such a gratitude that you, for Christmas and for what you did, that this would be the best Christmas we've ever had. And that it wouldn't just be about gratitude or joy, but that you would save souls and that you would use us to spread the word of your gospel so that others could know you, so that what you did could produce more and more fruit on this side of eternity. To you be the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.